after two weeks, then you come in-house corporate, and then you have another two weeks with uh, the head trainers, and they put you through the ringer, like tests, finals, everything. Um, and that's where either you graduate or you do not graduate, meaning you don't get to keep your job. I was always bad with science, biology, anything science-related. So that was such a stressful time for me that as a 25-year-old, I started losing hair on the side of my head to the point where it was the size of a nickel. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you would like to support episodes like this being made, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. On to today's episode, which is a real treat. It was a real treat for me. I hope it's a treat for you guys. I got to talk with a very good friend of mine, Sam Kim, about being a medical device rep. So that was a treat for a couple of reasons. One is that Sam's a good friend of mine. It's always great to talk to a friend on the show. The other thing is that being a medical device rep is what I did for my life before this. And it's the job that I kind of always knew and th- thought I wanted when I was growing up. Um, and it's just kind of something that that never really perfectly clicked for me. And um, because of it not clicking, I decided to start this podcast. So if you have ever wondered about what it is that I did before this podcast, this is it. So you will get to know a little bit about my history and a little bit about what it is like to be a medical device rep. So there is so much interesting stuff to talk about being a medical device rep, like you know what it's like being in on surgery, things about the healthcare system, working with physicians, all kinds of interesting stuff, and we will cover it all. So without Without further ado, here is Medical Device Rep. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. I'm so excited to talk to you. I haven't gotten to see you in so long. It was so good to just see you right now on Skype. It's awesome. It's been a few years, yeah. actually. So yeah. I'm really, technology is pretty crazy, and I'm really glad uh, I was able to see your man bun. It's great. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. So why don't we start out by talking about what exactly you do, what is a medical device rep? What is a medical device sales rep? Because I feel like in medical device, and actually in, in a lot of forms of sales, but particularly in medical device, the word sales is like a bit of a misnomer. So why don't you explain what a medical device sales rep does? Sure. So in general, um, with medical device sales or being a medical device rep, you're representing a certain company selling uh, those products to either surgeons, hospitals, um, some places it can be nursing homes, just depending on what type of product or business you have, you're selling something to an healthcare, a healthcare system. Um, as a medical device rep, <clears throat> you want to be, and you are the expert for your specific product within a certain procedures setting or, um, you know, outpatient setting, whatever it may be. But you represent the product master for your specific product, but you're not, per se, the, the master of that procedure. Obviously, that is the physician or the, or the surgeon. So your job is to promote the sales of your products and obviously make sure that it's being used correctly um, which for the best for the patient, best for the hospital. And there's a lot of different things that go into it. 
there's the actual selling aspect, but there's also different things that you have to deal with in terms of contracts with the hospitals, um, in servicing, you know, the hospitals and the staff to, to properly, to properly educate them on how to use your products safely. Um, there's just a lot of different things that go into, uh, being a medical device rep. And it really depends on what type of product you're selling or what company that you're representing. So in certain types of sales, let's say you're selling cars, let's say you're a little kid selling lemonade, you just need to keep on selling. Like this is, this is how you make your money. What percentage of your time would you say you are quote unquote, like cold calling or trying to get new clients? And what percent of the time are you trying to help old clients that already use your product? That's a great question. It really does depend on, again, the type of product you're selling and, and how mature that business is versus, you know, if, if you're, so for example, I've, I've been with my company for almost six years. For the first four and a half years, I was in a different division where we had low market share. So we had a ton of upside, but we didn't have that brand name recognition uh, within a certain uh, procedural uh, space. So for me, it was, I had a lot of opportunity to, to sell to all these different surgeons, um, but we didn't have a lot of market share. So it was very, very heavy uh, cold calling on surgeons, trying to find new business all the time. I was always hunting and then trying to work with new surgeons and trying to convert them from other competitive, um, uh, other competitive companies. So a lot of that was predicated on, you know, Google finding out who's doing what kind of, you know, surgeries in, in certain geographical areas, who are the busiest guys. It's a lot of research and it's a lot of knocking on doors and trying to set either lunch appointments or, or if you want to do dinners or just regular meetings. But, um, a lot of that was headhunting. Uh, currently what I do now, I'm in a more mature business, uh, we, where we have a pretty large market share. We're known for our, we're very well known for our products that I represent and sell. With that being said, um, I have pretty much 85% of my quota comes from one big hospital. Um, that hospital, I, I always, I maintain more of the relationships right now. So I'm still doing the in-servicing. I'm still selling new products, but it's it's not as much headhunting, and it's more kind of account management, uh, more so than headhunting than I was in the past four and a half years uh, before moving to this new division. If that makes sense, of course. So you're at a point now with this product and and with this division and everything that it's like you're almost there to anticipate your customers' needs almost like before they even need them and just be their right-hand man. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm going around to each operating room when I know that there's cases or surgeries happening. You know, I'm making sure that the products are not malfunctioning. If there's any questions surgeons might have or if they want to try a, a different product for a specific procedure, you know, I'm there to, to always be that product expert for, for my products. Um, whereas before it was <clears throat> here, you know, convert X, Y, Z surgeon from a competitive, uh, competitive product, work with him for a couple surgeries or a couple cases, and then it's on to the next one. And then you try to find another competitive surgeon. You try to, con- you know, take the business away from your competitor, have that surgeon get comfortable with your product for a couple cases, and then you go on to the next one. So it was always, you know, you're always rotating before when you're when you're hunting whereas now it's 
um, you know, when they think of um, stapling or energy products, you know, within that spe- specific hospital, the first person that th- they think about is is me. So they always call me if there's any problems. You know, they'll email me with any questions or anything that they're anticipating in the future. Like I'm their I'm the main point of contact that represents my company. And is that why your company needs to, like you said, eighty percent of your time is being spent there? Is that is the reason that that needs to take place is because, like, God forbid, you, how you were saying, you know, you always want to be there to make sure that the product is working as it should and all these different things. Is that, God forbid, like one of your products does not work as it should and that happens to be a day that, like, a competitive sales rep from another company is there or something. It could just rub the surgeon or the administrator or something in the wrong way that, like, because you weren't there, all of a sudden this you know, it becomes a huge, like multi-million dollar failure on your part. Yeah. I don't know about the multi-million dollar failure for, <laughs> for me per se, but I will say that it doesn't look good when your product doesn't work. And then the competitive rep just happens to be in that operating room and saying, Oh, Hey, by the way, I have this and this works really well. So that you know, you always want to avoid that at all times. So, um, you know, Unfortunately, sometimes when when there are problems with the products that we sell, I mean, granted, there are there are definitely times where the product malfunctions itself, but a lot of times it's the, when something doesn't work properly, it's because it wasn't assembled <laughs> correctly. As it be, it's, yeah. it's a user error. Yeah. So, and and again, <clears throat> that's part of my job is to ensure that we don't skip any parts in assembly. We don't make any shortcuts that whatever that they're using the product on is appropriate for, for that indication. If it's not indicated, then, you know, Dr. So-and-so, please, you know, this is not indicated. Just want to let you know, if you do have a a misfire or something doesn't work well, you know, I just want to let you know that I told you in advance that this wasn't going to work well. Um, So those are the certain things you always want to navigate and, and do prior to any type of surgery. Um, but again, you know, if, if I wasn't there for a procedure and it was a big procedure and my products just started failing left and right, then yeah, it's definitely not a good sign. It doesn't look good to the hospital administration, to the surgeons, to the nursing staff, to everyone that I wasn't there and that my, my products had all these problems. So, so I want to get back to some of the, uh, the sales cycle in a little bit, but first, since you just kind of touched on it, I'd love you to talk about it some more, which is why exactly the surgeon needs you there in the first place. So, uh, you know, one of the things that you said that you do is you're in cases, you're in the surgeries and that's, you know, a huge part of being a medical device rep, almost no matter what you sell. So, um, why is it exactly that the surgeon needs you there? Like the surgeon is the one that, you know, knows how to perform the surgery and they're the surgeon for God's sake. And they went to medical school. Why do you need to be there at these, uh, at these cases? That's a great question. And when I tell people that I'm a medical device rep and I, and I sell, you know, products in the OR and I help the surgeons if they need it, you know, people get kind of freaked out, you know, they're like, Oh, they went to med school residency, everything that you just said. Again, they're Matt, they're, the masters and the, and the experts in the procedure. Um, um, I, I am, and I should be, and every other medical device rep should be an expert on their products. So when they have a question, if they say, Hey Sam, can I fire this stapler over, you know, the, the, the lower portion of the stomach, which is very thick. 
I should say, I should know, hey, you can use a certain stapler with a certain height, which should accommodate the thickness of that with uh, the antrum of the stomach, which is very thick. Versus if I just said, oh, yeah, you can use any stapler, any, any stapler you want or whatever you think is, is the best. You know, they'll ask me for my product knowledge because I know our products in and out. Um, you should know every little intricate detail about your product, where it can and cannot be used. So that's why that's when they'll ask. If there's something that they're not sure about, obviously they know all the anatomy. They know how to fix things if something goes wrong. But, they, you know, they'll ask a rep. Uh, for advice on a certain on how to use a certain product in in which instances over a certain anatomy, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Well, and especially you know, like the the last product that you sold, being hernia mesh, you know those those are a lot of times going to be general surgeons and stuff doing those cases. They have a lot of other types of cases that they do. Um, so they're going to do however many hernia repairs over the course of a year you are literally going to be doing more hernia cases than like any of your surgeons are going to be doing, you know, like that is, that is all you do. That's all you, all you see day in and day out is hernia cases. And all you see day in and day out is hernia cases with your hernia mesh. So there's so many specifics that can come into any case that, that I would have to imagine that they just can't really teach in medical school. It's like they have to teach um, kind of this is how the average thing goes for this case. Like this is how an average hernia mesh placement goes. Here's like a couple of examples of outliers. So like here would be a really obese person. Here would be this sort of a thing. But when, you know, every human body is completely different. So, I mean, you're that, that was a really good example that you gave with the stapler because, uh the the thickness of a person's stomach lining versus this versus like so many different little individual things can come up that it's it's just it's almost impossible for um the surgeon to know all those things uh i mean to a large extent it's impossible for even the rep to know all those things but you have a much better shot of i guess knowing whatever the specific thing is than the surgeon will yeah i mean again it's you know since i know my products in and out and i've seen you know, all these products being used in and out. I've seen how people struggle. I've seen how people do well. So I can also offer advice on how to use certain products. Be like, okay, this is a better application. This is how you unfold the mesh. This is how you, this is where you would tack the mesh, or this is how you would use this stapler. Or a lot of times surgeons will, they won't necessarily ask my opinion for, um, or advice during a surgery, but they'll ask me like, Hey, what are other surgeons doing? You know, you're also a resource because as a rep, you see so many other cases at other facilities. You know, other surgeons want to know, hey, what are what are some of the new techniques that are out there that so-and-so from, you know, the hospital down the street is doing? Like, what are they utilizing to better their patients? You know, how has that been positive or negative? You know, do you think that's a, a viable option for uh, for treatment, you know, down the road to, to continue every day, you know, is that a viable pathway? So they'll ask certain questions like that just to kind of see what else is, what else is out there. Yeah. So how do you get your medical knowledge? Did you have to go to medical school? Is that a prerequisite for getting a job like this? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, uh, I hated science. I hated biology. I hated anything that had to do with medical school or anything like that. Um, so it's pretty funny that I ended up in this space. <clears throat> um, any medical device company, as you know, um, when you first get hired, you have to go through a sales training program. And with most companies, your job is dependent upon you passing this training. Um, 
with with our with with my company the training was very very strict um we had about 10 to 12 quizzes finals uh mid you know it's kind of it's kind of like college and you have like you you know midterm exam final exam role plays things of that nature if you did not pass um you had to pass with at least a 90 percent or above and during my time six years ago if you did not pass uh with a 90 percent or above more than three times so basically if you got anything less than 90% three times on any test, quiz, final, role play, lab play, whatever it may be, then you didn't get to keep your job. Yeah, this actually happened during <laughs> at one of the companies I work for and I was distraught. I mean, it didn't happen to me, but I was distraught for the <laughs> for the person that it happened to because it's like everyone really becomes friends during uh during the sales training because it's so intensive, you know? And um in any time that you're not in class, Everyone is is studying like crazy back at the hotel and everything because you know, like you said, you need to be getting a ninety percent, and these tests are nearly daily. Um, so yeah, when somebody actually gets cut, it's like, wow, I can't believe that really just happened. Yeah, so I'll tell you a, a funny story. I mean, I can say it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. So when I first got hired, I was twenty five, uh, twenty five, twenty six. Very excited to be, you know, finally get into medical device sales. I was super excited. I was really hungry and eager. And then, you know, I signed my contract, my, you know, my paperwork, and it says, dependent upon you passing training. So, uh, knew nothing. Again, I was always bad with science, biology, anything science related. Um, I took training, the studying materials, so so far like i i was so stressed out that i had to get 100 percent, or I, I couldn't fail my body started to break down and again i'm 25 or 26 at the time by the time i came it was two weeks at home study at home training so your your whole training is depending upon how hard you want to study right after two weeks then you come in-house corporate and then you have another two weeks with uh the head trainers and they put you through the ringer like tests finals everything um, and that's where either you graduate or you do not graduate, meaning you don't get to keep your job. So that was s- such a stressful time for me that as a 25-year-old, I started losing hair on the side of my head um, to the point where it was the size of a nickel. <laughs> and so I, I literally That's crazy. Went, I never yeah, knew that. Yeah. I literally went bald. And I was so, you know, luckily I had a hairstyle where I can kind of cover it up. And I was, it was really embarrassing. As soon as I graduated and I passed and that you know, you get like a whole sense of relief. So that relief was like, ah, finally, like I'm done. I get home, I get back to LA. I had to go see a dermatologist and he gave me uh, shots because he's like, this is all stress induced. He's like, this may or may not work, but hopefully it can bring your hair back. Luckily, I mean, after, after three shots of like steroids or whatever it was that he put in my head, my hair started to grow back, but that's how intensive the training was. And that's how stressful it was for me to keep my job at the time. So if that may, if that puts any perspective on how hard it was, at least for me, you know, for my first my first job, like that's how intense and stressed out I was about training and, and passing just to have this medical knowledge. Oh, so, it's so stressful because also, I mean, what do you let's say you get kicked out of training and you don't have a job now. Now, yeah, like most likely what happened for you and what happened for me is it's not like we were unemployed heading into that job. Like we quit whatever job we had before Absolutely. to take yeah. that job. So now if that job lets you go while you're in training, you are now unemployed 
and you have no income and you have no prospects, you haven't been hunting for another job, and you need to try to get another job and tell them about how, oh yeah, my last company let me go because I couldn't pass these tests, the same exactly. tests that you're going to give me right now. Exactly. So you don't want to be that guy, right? And think about, okay, think about this. I was 25, 26, single, you know, not married, no kids. There are a lot of people who have kids who just had babies. They had to spend, you know, almost four weeks away from their family doing training and, and imagine the pressure on them, if, especially if it was someone who's a, the, the sole provider or is the majority provider for the company. And then if they don't pass training, think about that conversation. Like, hey, honey, sorry, I didn't, make, I didn't pass training. I, I got to go find another job. Like, that's very stressful to – I can't even think about having that conversation. That's, oh, that's so hard. It's, it's insane. It's totally insane. So why do you think that they do that, Sam? Well, it's – it's it's very it's a crash course, right? So it's a crash course in 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 training for medical, for anatomy, understanding your products, most importantly, um, how your products can be used. But you know, when you're in the field, you're going to be asked questions, and you have to be able to communicate with the surgeon or the nursing staff or whoever you're speaking with clinically. And if you can't communicate that on a on a clinical level or just speak efficiently you're not you you're going to lose credibility. So, it's just prepping you more for the real world once you start getting in the field and you know, and really once you start selling because once you start selling, you have you have to you're expected to have these higher level conversations about certain procedures with surgeons, you know, when they ask you like, "Oh, can I use this? When's it appropriate to use this product versus that product?" You have to know what they're talking about. You can't just pass training and be like, Ooh, okay, I, I pass and then completely forget everything and just have it go right out the window. So it's something that you have to maintain. And even to this day, I, I mean, I still look up a, a lot of videos on YouTube just to make sure I, I kind of, you know, keep my head on straight to kind of be refreshed if I haven't seen a certain procedure in a while. Um, and if I'm going the next day, like, okay, if it's, if this is a, a thoracic procedure and I haven't seen a thoracic case in, you know, a couple months, then I would go back and watch the the video on YouTube just to get re-educated because you need to. Ha- th- at one point, there's going to be a conversation about the procedure with the surgeon, and you don't want to sound like the guy that doesn't know anything about that product or that procedure for that product. Yeah, of course. I would imagine a certain part of it as well is like army boot camp where they want to make everything very tough and very stressful on you so that when you actually get deployed you have a certain amount of mental fortitude, I guess. Um, do you, do you think like, why don't, why don't you tell us about some of the stressful things that have happened to you out in the field? Like whether it be dealing with the physician uh, or just overall nerves of something, uh, you know, with a sale or a case or anything like that. So there's, there's an old saying, I'm pretty sure you know the saying too. It's, uh, like, you know, it's always the rep's fault, right? Always blame the rep. So, Anytime something goes wrong, especially if, if a surgeon is using your product for the first time, there's a highly or a high probability that the product might not work well, you know. And if it's in a really intense situation, and it doesn't work well. What's who's the first person that the surgeon is going to yell at or acknowledge in a negative way? It's the person who brought in the new product. So there's been plenty of times in my career where I brought in a new product. Like I said, with hernia, we didn't have the market share. 
hey, try this new product. It's going to be great. They're like, they're all excited about it. Like, okay, cool. You know, you walk them through how to use a certain device or the mesh prior to the case. And like, okay, this is great. They're actually in surgery. Everything's going well until they use your product and everything just goes horribly. So there's plenty of times where you have to be prepared mentally that you're going to get yelled at, like pretty bad. Whether that's from the surgeon itself or from a nurse or from an administrator, like that comes with the territory of being a rep. People will yell at you, they will downplay you, but you just, you know, you just gotta you gotta take it. It's 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 tough to do. It's tough to swallow at times, but it, it does happen and uh you have to be prepared for that to whenever that whenever that day comes. <laughs> yeah, you definitely you definitely can't like break and just start crying in front of them or something like that. That's not going to go over very well. well. Yeah, cuz I mean what what happens if if you break down and cry, you never you can probably never go back to that account, right? You can never go back and see that surgeon. So, it's it's tough. I mean, some of the, like I said, sometimes um when the product fails, it's you know, you know, sometimes it's because of the manufacturing from from our company, you know, sometimes it's user error. When it's user error and then the surgeon or whoever's pissed off at you, the toughest conversation afterwards is, hey, Mr. Surgeon or hey, nurse, you didn't assemble this product correctly. That's why it didn't work. Yeah. So let's talk about that because as you said earlier and reiterated just now that like over 90% of the time when a product doesn't work right or a case doesn't go exactly as it should it's not because of the actual product. It's because the product was not used as it was intended or not used in the optimal way. Um, in my experience, physicians can be very, um, and I, I don't want to like totally generalize here because I also know some really, really, really great, so humble, just like amazing people that are surgeons, but, um, physicians can be, uh, sometimes like difficult people to deal with and uh, somewhat arrogant because they have they have people like us they have reps all day long that just kiss their butt because the rep is actually paid to kiss their butt you know and then they have nurses that kiss their butt because that nurse is paid to kiss their butt and depending on how um established they are in a hospital within the hierarchy they might even have the uh people working in the hospital administration kissing their butt all day so you it's no different than a celebrity you know it's like they're this mini celebrity um who everyone just caters to their every whim so how do you tell someone like that hey man you're the one that actually just screwed up that's why this did not go well well it's tough right i mean think about this so this is a bit of exaggeration but it's like telling michael jordan like hey 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 mike this is what you need to do to fix your jump shot Right. I mean, he's he's the pro. He's the guy. He's the one who's doing all these procedures and has all this experience. But when it comes to your product, it's like, hey, you didn't tie you didn't tie your Nikes the right way. That's why you fell or whatever. (laughs) Right. That's a very difficult conversation to have with someone who's so experienced and has all this respect within within the hospital. Um, so hard, especially when you're younger, it's funny, you and I both got into medical device at a very young age. We were both very fortunate to have that happen. I'd say the average age for people getting into medical device is around like 30 or something like that, you know, and we were in, in our mid twenties and I actually went and got, I might've told this story on the show a long time ago. I can't remember, but anyways, I went and got glasses when I was 20, I was actually 24. I think with my first medical device job, I went and got glasses um and got just like 
plain it's ironic because nowadays i actually have to wear glasses and my eyes have gotten worse since then but uh i got glasses with just like plain clear lenses in them so i could look just a little bit older to these surgeons in some way (laughs) because to your point it's like i i would i just picture even me like walking into the surgeon's office and being like hey can we do a lunch and then you show up for the lunch and it's like let me tell you these things about hernia repair like for you know for your product and it's like Oh, okay. Yeah. 24 year old guy. Why don't you tell me about hernia repair? The surgeon that is 60 years old and has done 10,000 hernia repairs in my life. Yeah. Please, please enlighten me. 24 year old kid. Yeah. So it's very difficult, right? Um, I think if you can play your cards right and you acknowledge that and you nip it in the bud and you you kind of make it a, like a self-deprecating, uh, joke up front with like certain surgeons who are especially are older, at least for me, that, that worked out for me. I was like, Hey, I know, like, I'm just a 25-year-old mesh guy, you know, who doesn't know much about hernias, but this is what I, I do know things about our product. And, uh, you know, you, you can kind of break the ice in, in that way. But um, going back to what you're saying about how do you have that conversation when when someone from the staff or the surgeon or whoever uh, misuse your product or, like, a user error – it's a very it's a very tough conversation to have. I mean, honestly, no one wants to have that conversation. Um, usually, what I've done is after after we troubleshoot, we get things done, we figure out what's the problem. Then after the surgery, you know, I I, I wouldn't say anything during the surgery unless the surgeon asked me again for some questions. But uh, after the case, you know, try to when things are more calmed down, everything's okay with the patient. Surgery's done. Then have that conversation. Have that conversation and say, you know, Doctor So and So, I think this is the reason why the product didn't work as intended. It's because when I, in my observation, we skipped X Y Z steps, and that's why the product either malfunctioned or didn't work properly. Um, it's just knowing. It's just timing. Knowing when to step in and say it, um, and, and and correcting someone versus, you know too late sorry you know come back next time or someone might never want to use your product ever again so it's uh it's a very difficult conversation to have yeah absolutely i've definitely had a few a few moments in my career in my my prior career i should say where and it's funny it's like it's like a feeling that you for most people haven't had since you were a kid or maybe since you were in high school or something like that where it's just like you feel so uncomfortable in your own skin. You're just like uh, anything to like to be out of this situation right now. Like if I could just disappear, that would just be the greatest thing ever. If I could just not be in this room right now. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, in, in that conference, so there's a lot of different, a lot of difficult things that come with this, with the, with the, with the job of being a medical device rep, not only having those type of conversations, you know, when either the product doesn't work well, the patient isn't doing well, that's difficult. Another difficult thing is when you're using, when you're introducing a new product. And again, I always, to this day, I still get nervous every single time I'm introducing a new product and having either the, the nurses or the surgical techs assemble a, my device and then having the surgeon use the device. I, oh, it's the most nerve wracking feeling because the last thing you want is for them to use your product on a patient and then have it malfunction while surgery is going on and and this could potentially harm the patient if it doesn't work well. So the anxiety and the stress level during a surgery can also be very high as a rep. So you have to be able to deal with that anxiety somehow 
Um, and then just if a problem arises, be ready for it. If it doesn't, a huge weight has been lifted off your shoulder, at least for me. But that's a constant daily thing that you that you're going to have to experience. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Talk about the wait time um, for cases and stuff like that. Something that's really interesting about medical device to me is you you get paid a lot of money. So first, let's talk about that. Um, on average, if you had to guess and just throw a number out there, what what do you think medical device reps get paid? And well, like, give us a big range, actually, because there's obviously a big range. Uh, you know, I, I think if you're a, a full rep, meaning you're not an associate rep, you have your own territory, you have your own quota that you have to manage. Um, I think it can range anywhere from the, you know, high seventies, eighties to easily over a hundred thousand dollars to six figures. Um, and again, that's just, that's just a wide range, right? So depending on the type of product that you're representing, the space that you're in, it really does depend but um, I think with if you're pretty tenured, you should be somewhere on the six figure mark um, in in the medical device space. Yeah, but it's, with a, with a pretty you know decent to large company, you know it's, it should be somewhere around there. Yeah. So most I've seen have probably been about like one hundred and all the way up to like two hundred thousand dollars and stuff, depending on how you're doing, you know, as a rep. Yeah. And then there's also other benefits that come with that, like you get a car, you usually get your gas paid for, you get a cell phone, you get all these other, you know, really Laptop, great, ben- yeah, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. What's interesting about being a medical device rep then is. Uh, and, and we'll use this as a way to start talking about like your day to day and like what percentage of your day you're doing what on these times when you're in a case, uh, especially if it's a newer doctor, because um, sometimes if you get a really good relationship with the doctor um, or, you know, a doctor, well, you can start just showing up at the exact time that they kind of need you um, and anticipate their their needs and when, where they're going to be at a certain point in the case. But if they have a two-hour-long uh, case, sometimes you're you're there for the whole two hours. And sometimes maybe the case gets delayed an hour, so you're there for three hours or something, um, all for a possible one question you might... Or all for a maybe three-minute window where you might get asked a question. Absolutely. Um there's definitely some idle time when you're so certain cases can go from 45 minutes all the way up to eight hours or, or or more so that's a it's a pretty wide range depending on which procedure procedure that you're in um so it can vary i mean there's a lot of times where you know one of the closest surgeons that i work with he always does very complex cases which take at least three to four, four and a half hours uh, per case. Granted, I don't spend all of my time in that, uh, in that case every single day. Um, but there, when we're, if we're using new products, I'm certainly there the, the, the whole duration of, of the surgery, at least for, the, you know, at least for a while until, the, until he feels comfortable using the new product, I'm not going to leave. Yeah, which has um, always struck me as such an interesting and funny thing because it's like you're standing there getting paid six figures and you're just standing there totally silent with your hands behind your back or you know whatever you're doing silver in the corner getting right. paid six figures. It's such an interesting thing. Yeah, and then I mean that's I mean it's like I your guess, talent is on retainer, you know. <laughs> I guess so, pretty much. I mean obviously you do, you don't want any problems to arise. That and, that's the. I mean, you know this. It's the last thing you want. You don't want the surgeon using your product to, Sam. What happened? Like this isn't working. Like this is causing all this bleeding, and like we're freaking out. Like 
that's not why you want to be there. But if that does happen, you have to be able to calmly and efficiently communicate, hey, these are the these are the steps on how to you know fix it with this particular product or or, or whatnot. So yeah, you're kind of on standby. But uh, again, it's just to you know, especially if it's new products, you you need to make sure that this is a, a good, solid representation of your product and your company. Um, you do not want anything to have a negative impact. Again, if it doesn't work well, the surgeon doesn't like it. He might talk to another surgeon, or you know, you know, it, it's it's it can it can spread like wildfire. So you always want to make sure things are running smoothly. Um, and that they have a good experience with it, and that the, the most importantly that the patient is doing well after the procedure is complete. Yeah. How much blood and gore do you have to deal with? And what did you? How did you think you were going to handle that heading into this job? How have you actually handled it? Um, have you ever seen anybody like new reps get hired that end up not being able to hack it because they just can't really take it? Um, yeah, there, there definitely is, you know, from, for my job now, I get exposed a lot to the, if there's any type of open surgery, you know, you see a lot of bowel, you see a lot of intestines, small bowel, um, you know, you see the stomach. I mean, you see a lot of fat. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you're exposed to. The difference is that when they're doing a lot of these open surgeries, they're cutting with, um, with Bovie pencils, which is like a cauter, electrocautery. So it's not massive bleeding, you know, coming out everywhere. It, it's all stabilized. So it's just, it's weird just seeing these organs, like, you know, you're just seeing organs, you know, open and open matter, but it's not like it's massively bleeding left and right. And, you know, it's just gushing everywhere. So it's, it's kind of a weird, um, when you first see it, it's kind of, it's a kind of weird introduction to see how things are being operated on. And you kind of and you get used to it. Um, yeah, and I think the thing that the thing that really uh, the thing that really helps in terms of getting used to it is the fact that for the sake of sterile field, and as I posited in one of my other interviews, that also perhaps just for the sake of everyone's like mental well being, that the entire rest of the patient is covered up, other than the area that's being worked on. You know, right. so you're not really looking. To your point about the intestines being opened up or something, it's like, or, you know, this, the, the abdomen being opened up and you seeing the intestines, it kind of, it's like playing a game of operation, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, oh, there's some intestines right there. It's not like, oh, there is a person and I can see that their, that their abdomen is cut open with their intestines. It's kind of like, right. oh, there's just some intestines. Well, so yeah, exactly. And the contrary to open surgery is minimally invasive surgery, right? So um, laparoscopic or endoscopic surgery where they're using a, a small video camera to see inside this, you know, inside the abdomen. Um, to me, that looks more like a video game, if that makes sense. Like you're seeing like all, you know, 3D images of a body, but it doesn't really look like, to me, it doesn't really seem like it's the actual organs, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a weird, yeah, whenever I see it on the screen, it it's just a weird um uh, it's just a weird experience. So it doesn't seem as real, although I know that they're doing the procedures, you know, with the instruments and whatnot. But whenever you see it minimally invasive on the TV screen, it just it just really seems like a video game. So um, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of people interviewing for uh, a, a rep position um, when they go to the OR and they're exposed to 
to blood and organs and like, you know, someone faints and has to be carried out. I've, I've heard myths, you know, everyone hears those type of stories, but, um, I wouldn't say that that doesn't happen, especially for people who are trying to get in. I wouldn't be surprised if that actually did happen or happen quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, so you were just saying about that sort of myth, which I've obviously heard the same thing. And it always it struck me as such like a, a tragic or a terrible thing because it's so difficult to get into medical device. It's such a, it's such like a sought after thing, I guess, in the sales world. And I guess people outside of the sales world really wouldn't know that, but it's, uh, it's like a job that a lot of people want for, I mean, for the reasons that we've talked about thus far about pay and benefits and this and that. And there's a lot of sales jobs where, um, such as like selling cars or something where it's just like, and you have to sell another car tomorrow and another car tomorrow and another car tomorrow. Um, versus in in medical device sales it's nice to get to cultivate these relationships and then hopefully they will keep doing business for you and you can keep on serving these same these same customers that you grow to really know and like and they grow to know and like you as well yeah and i think you know one of the words you just mentioned is relationships and that's a huge part of our business so um relationships with surgeons or nurses and staff people part of the hospital um that ultimately is what you're hired to do um, you know, managing these relationships, um, is going to protect your business, right? So it's, I mean, I have a lot of surgeons who I consider friends now over the years. Um, but ultimately in, in the old, like when you think of sales, like it's, it's hard to say no to a friend, right? If, if they're trying to sell you something, um, if you can have that kind of relationship and maintain that, that's how you're going to, um, kind of ensure your products are being used, you know, daily or just month over month, week over week, day over day. That's kind of how you can, it's, it's not as a, it's not like a transactional one-off sale. Like if you're doing a car, like once you sell a car, you're done that unless that person is going to come back 50 more times, which probably is unlikely. It's a one-off sale. Okay. Nice to know you for however many minutes. See you later. Have a good life. With us, it's a recurring relationship management. It's a recurring type of um, sale where we're, you know, we're talking about procedures a lot, but we're also talking about how we can help uh, certain aspects of even the surgeon's business or their program. How we can develop that further? You know, how can we help you be more efficient in your business for marketing, or how can we help you? Um, you know, reach out to certain type of demographics or whatnot, or how can we help you with more training? Is there more clinical training that you need that we provide? So let's bring it back to the OR a little bit, Sam. Uh, what is the craziest case that you have ever seen that you've ever been in on? I think the craziest case I would have to say was when I was selling hernia products. It's, you know, it's a, it was a very complex abdominal wall reconstruction for an obese patient. Um, just, uh, it was, it was nasty. It was about an eight hour case, um, where they had to do a complete open surgery on the abdomen. I mean, and they're taking, and they're fixing this giant hernia with, you know, bowel and intestines just going everywhere. The abdominal wall was not intact. They had to figure out a way how to, how to close the stomach back again. They had to, the patient was so obese that they, did a paniculectomy, which is basically they took out part of the lower part of the the abdomen, um, and then they had to reclose everything to make sure everything was was done right for the patient. I mean, it was just a, it, 
that case, I know we, I talked about earlier, there's not being a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood involved. Things were not done correctly. I mean, it was just very complicated. So the surgeon can see anatomy very well. That was a pretty bloody procedure. I mean, and, I mean, you're just exposed to all the organs. I, I could see all the organs from far away. And it was just a really nasty procedure that took about eight or nine hours. Um, luckily, that patient was doing doing well now. But you, you, it's it's hard to think about if that was your parent or if that was your cousin or a family member. You know, like it's it's it was very, very graphic yeah. in that sense. So that was definitely my most memorable experience working in the OR. So it sounds like a lot of the challenge that led to what you saw had to do with the person's level of obesity. Um, how has being a rep and seeing cases like that changed your view of health and of health care and all of that? It's changed it a lot. Um, just seeing now, now I work a lot in bariatric surgery, which is weight loss surgery. And you see the amount of people who are obese and just the the kind of decisions that people make, it, it really does impact how you want to live your life. You, you never want to be operated on. I've been operated on for, for different things. I've had a torn labrum in my shoulder. Um, I had to get surgery on my neck. You had um, a missing hair patch. I had a missing hair patch. <laughs> so, you know, surgery is certainly not, it's, it sucks to have. And what's what's worse is that when you can potentially prevent having these type of problems, right? Like if you're when you see someone who's obese, like I know it's hard, but like you, you, it encourages me to try to live a healthier lifestyle because um, you never want to be back. I never want to be back to having surgery because it is very painful. It, it's it's a long road to recovery, so it puts a lot of things into perspective. You know what you eat on a daily basis, what you drink how you exercise, things like that. And you're just more cognizant of, of just overall health, um, in a, in a good way. And I think it, you know, you can ask my girlfriend, I'm always like telling her we need to be healthier. We need to live a healthier lifestyle, exercise more. Um, because you see all these different types of patients who have all these sicknesses, comorbidities, and just, you know, things in general that just aren't going well for them. So it really does impact you. Um, unfortunately, to, to be healthier because you're seeing a lot of sick patients being operated on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. I know it made a big impact on me. And, um, I, I read this article the other day online and it was really frustrating to read. Um, because it's like, I understand what the woman that wrote it was trying to get across. Um, basically she was an overweight woman who was talking about like, this is my body and I think it's beautiful and I'll do with it what I will and don't judge me type of thing. And it's, um, it's, it's really sad and a bummer that we tie weight as a society so much to aesthetics and so much, you know, like, like what that woman was getting at of like, right. I can still be beautiful and this and that. It's like, okay, fine. Yes, you can still be beautiful. That is okay. That is not at all, even a little bit, the conversation that we should be having. It's like, it's no different than if somebody smokes cigarettes, we might, with that person that smokes cigarettes, be like, okay, I'm not going to um, 
chastise you for smoking cigarettes or and you know we're going to let you have the freedom to smoke cigarettes but basically everyone that looks at that person smoking cigarettes and even the person that smokes cigarettes themselves now knows that what they are doing is really unhealthy and and is going to be damaging their body in the long run and they're making this decision consciously to damage their body and it's like that there is this that is is one of these things that's kind of obviously known with everyone with diet and nutrition and stuff like that and unfortunately though still being obese and being overweight is tied so much to image that this image thing crops up of like oh well don't be fat shaming and this and that it's like yeah of course let's not be fat shaming in that regard i mean that's that's terrible um we we shouldn't even be linking those two together at all in terms of like right. your, your pride and your weight or your looks and your weight but i what i would say is that 90 percent of the people that got my products were overweight like 90 percent and right. meanwhile so not only are the people that are getting your products to begin with are overweight like in you know a lot of people had other comorbidities like they smoke cigarettes or this or that but by far the most common comorbidity is just being obese the other thing is is the basically everyone that their healing did not take place properly and they ended up having to go back in for another surgery like 100 percent of all those people were overweight um and so a like you were saying like you know you have to look out for yourself in terms of you don't want to have to do a surgery in the first place um but if you do god forbid you ever need surgery for some reason your body should be able to rebound and heal itself up your body should be able to do that for you but if you are not treating your body right it might not be able to help you out it might not be able to to heal you up properly 100 percent 100 percent. so it's you know we addiction is is very whatever your addiction in general whatever it is that people are addicted to it's very hard to overcome whether that's you know with obesity or smoking or whatever it may be um but again it's a it's still a a con you're still making a conscious effort doing the things that you know that aren't good for you so that's 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 the tough part um and that's where the whole point of addiction is difficult so it is it's tough and again I'm, I'm i'm reminded of it daily because you know i do see a lot of these patients who are sick and unfortunately i mean it, it helps me put things into perspective but it's it's sad to see a lot how many people are so sick whether it's over being overweight or whatever having you know lung cancer from smoking cigarettes whatever it may be it's it's tough to see that at one point they made those decisions to either keep smoking or whatnot. Um, and now that they have these problems. So, um, I mean, either way, it's, it's tough to see anyone who's sick get surgery. It it sucks. You know, when you put your, when you put yourself in in their shoes or their family member's shoes, it sucks. Like, you know, being in a, in a case for four hours. Yeah. It's a long case. But when I talked to my mom after I had surgery, she was my surgery was a crazy surgery and she was freaking out. It was about seven hours and she had no idea what was going on. Like imagine being on the other end, waiting for your loved one to get done with surgery. And you don't know, you don't know, you have no updates or you have updates maybe once every two hours from the, from the OR. Um, but just all the things that are running through that person's mind is mind boggling, you know? So it's tough. You never want to have to actually have surgery or, 
have one of your loved ones be in surgery. Yeah. Oh man, absolutely. Um, cool, man. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that a little bit. So Sam, what has your favorite part of this job been? My favorite part of the job, I mean, honestly, it's just the relationships that I've built with my customers. Um, it's, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well. When you first start out with this job, it's especially if you go into a new account, a new territory, you meet new surgeons, it's like, okay, these are just people that you are trying to sell to. Um, at the end of the day, that person, that surgeon is still a regular person, just outside of work. They're, just as normal as you are. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to have cultivated good, great relationships with some of my surgeons, a lot of the nursing staff. Um, and it's fun. You know, it's, you can make it a really fun job just by your interactions with people on a, on a daily basis. Um, I'm pretty fortunate to say like, I have good relationships with my customers. So it's every time I see them, it's, it's a fun it's a fun thing to do. It's fun to work with them in the OR. That makes sense. Yeah, that's great. You feel like you're a part of the team and they see you as part of the team. Right, right. What's your least favorite part of the job? Uh, least favorite part of the job, and again, you can attest to this, is when your sales numbers are not doing so hot and then you have your manager asking you why are your sales numbers low or why are they dipping and you give them an explanation of why. And he tells you, okay, go fix it. <laughs> that's, that's my least favorite part of the job. You know, when you, when you know you're losing business, but you're getting pressured from management and people above you to, 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 to get those sales back no matter what. Just somehow just magically just, you know, just do it and do it by tomorrow or do it by next week. Yeah. Um, that's the, the stress level is definitely high. So it's interesting. Cause like, you know, the man, the guy from the other company that just took your business, his manager's yelling at him too. You know, it's like, yeah, and it's like, like, he's working much. just as hard as you are, right. you know? So. so it's, it's like, you know, it's never enough. Um, especially, you know, if you're doing well and you know, you're, you're over quota, you're doing, you know, you're way over plan, things are going well. So you're like on cloud nine when you're untouchable, when things are going well. Um, the hardest part of the job is when you're not doing well, and then you're getting pressure from management and you might be running into more problems at the, at, at the hospital and the OR. And like when things are going bad, they go bad. It's just one, it's just Murphy's law. You know, it's just kind of like until you get out of that rut, it's, it's really hard to get out of. So that's the least favorite part of the job. But again, you have to have the mental stability or, and you have to have that fortitude to be like, okay, I'm going to get over this hump. And then once I get over this hump, then I'll be fine. But, uh, getting to that low point is the hardest part of the job. That's my least favorite part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so outside of, outside of that negative that Sam just said, which was such a big negative for me and is a large part of the reason why I left a uh, medical device, like that's how <laughs> big of a negative that was for me. Um, I truly believe that being a medical device rep is like one of the best jobs that anyone can possibly have. And if anyone listening to this is in sales and they probably have heard of being a medical device rep and they wanted to know how to get in because it is a, it's basically like the most difficult sales job that you can get. Um, what's interesting about medical device sales is there is a pretty like predefined path to getting into medical device sales. You just kind of have to know what it is. So let's give people some advice, Sam. Um, what advice would you give to anybody that wanted to become a medical device rep? Yeah. Like you mentioned, there's kind of a pathway. 
Um, obviously being in sales is number one. Um, if you're in inside sales, I would highly suggest getting into an outside sales position, um, with a big and large reputable company. Um, I worked for paychecks, uh, before getting into medical device. Um, there's ADP, Cintas, you know, selling copiers, things like that. I mean, there's a lot of different paths that you can go by, but, uh, doing something that's outside B2B sales, business to business sales, that's, that's like your starting point. If you can prove yourself and do well uh, within these big B2B companies, you'll start getting messages on LinkedIn. Recruiters will start contacting you. You'll get noticed. And then from there, that's how you start doing interviews with medical device companies. Um, it's funny that you know I actually spoke with your dad when we were working together, and he's the one who actually encouraged me to, to follow that path. So... Um, I follow that path and that's exactly how I got back into medical device sales. Yeah. And for a lot of people, there might be a, a, a middle step of taking a job with a pharmaceutical company, which is a great job as well. But, um, like a lot of people that we know, Sam had to do that. Like they had a job at, let's say, like you said, like a paychecks or, um, CentOS or something like that, selling, doing B2B sales. Then they took a job in pharmaceutical sales. And then the next step up was, uh, was getting into medical device. But, um, that is no joke, a pretty surefire way to get into medical device. As long as you do well with each one of those jobs, you could be a medical device rep within about four years or something like that. If you wanted to yeah. commit yourself to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just being in a position where you're in customer facing roles and you're, you know, you're, you're closing sales or you're meeting with customers and, and you're actually having interaction with them rather than just over the phone, just inside sales. I think that's a, that's a big thing. So, um, yeah, B2B sales for a while, do well, and I guarantee your, your LinkedIn message inbox will be started piling up with recruiters. Um, and then from there, just depending upon you choosing the right company to interview for, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, definitely. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me? out well how about being a guest on half hour intern that is right you could totally be a guest on this show so if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself you know what i do this totally awesome thing for a living or you know what i have this awesome hobby that i'm really really passionate about and i would love to tell people about it Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.